Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, we've got a tour. We have. We've started, haven't we? We've started. And today we've got much more than that because we're recording on Saturday, which is stage one of the tour, but also um, the uh, a world-class women's race this morning in the form of La Course. Yeah. And we've got um, a very worthy winner, haven't we? Um, we were speaking about it the other week, wasn't we, with uh, Laura Winter? Indeed. And um, I was asking her whether... Um, it did, did it matter if she ever won again because of um, her standing in the... in in the world of cycling and coming back as a mother and Phil retiring from team sky becoming the house husband and her presence was enough having had a baby and, and what a role model she is to, to young girls around the country that, um, you know, that she could be the breadwinner. She's got her own label with Castellian. Um, Joe, you know, we've got a very special guest with us tonight. Well, uh, Joanna Rousel, we should welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Brad, a fellow team pursuiter. Good to have Joe on. Uh, yeah, we don't define ourselves as that. Not anymore. No. Team pursuers tend to be quite shallow and tragic people by the end of their careers. <laughs> and uh, you can get better. You can uh, get better. But Joe, you're, you're far more than that um, and, and define yourself in far more wider terms nowadays. Tell us what you're doing with the most part of your time now. Yeah, so I've just started a degree um, to, in medicine. To, so I'm a medical student. I'm training to be a doctor. So I'm a week in. Uh, I started at the end of August. Uh, it's a four-year degree um, in medicine and surgery at St. George's in London. And yeah, at the end of that, I will be a qualified doctor. So um, yeah, that's that's my sort of career number two, I guess. I retired from cycling um, and now I'm embarking on a, new, on a new career. So yeah, take me a while to get there. Nicely fitting into an Olympic cycle again. Um, Did you always want course. to do that before cycling? No, um, I was always really sciencey at school. Mm. I was very academic. I admit I was really academic. I was sort of like almost straight A stars at GCSE, mm. that type of thing. And Did I you went like to cycling? Uh, I wasn't into cycling at all. I was talent no. spotted when I was. Because I always got 16. the impression that you didn't hated it. You saw it for what it was, and you were good at well, it. I don't know but if I you... hated it, but yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't someone that grew up doing it. Like no. I, I was talent spotted with a view of doing the Olympics. So it was always sort of. That that yeah. was that was the aim. I'd say I enjoy cycling a lot more now that it's not my job to do it. To do or watch? To do. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy right. going out for a bike ride now. Right. Whereas before, when it's your job, it's yeah, it's yeah. different, isn't it? Yeah. So, Joe, you've you've built up to uh, a medical degree because you've been studying um, for the for the past couple of years already, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I retired after Rio. Um, well, six months after Rio, I retired March 2017. Um, then I started a degree September 2017 at Manchester Met in Human Biology. So that's been a three-year Bachelor of Science degree, undergrad degree. So I would have graduated this summer, but graduation is cancelled thanks to COVID. So um, got a certificate in the post and, and, that, 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 and that was about it to show for the three years. Um, yeah, so that was my first degree. And I did that with a view of going on to further study and not really knowing what I wanted to do. But that sort of bought me time to see if I liked studying and seeing exactly what I wanted to go into. And I sort of quickly realised that I'd like the idea of working in healthcare. And I looked at various things. I looked at physiotherapy. I looked at, I looked at podiatry. I looked at dietetics. 
Um, and the main thing putting me off medicine was the fact that it would take the longest. And I sort of came around to the idea of thinking that the time will pass anyway. Like either way, I will be 35 in four years time. So, you know, why not spend those four years doing this? Do you get to the point? So Brad was saying earlier, I think that was the last time you saw Joe, Brad, was, was in Rio 2016. Yeah, I think we might have won gold the same night. I think um, you were the night before us. Yeah. I think um, we qualified on the same day, but then we had a rest day. So you did two days back to yeah. back and we had a weird um, day off in the middle. Yeah. And that was it really, because we were all doing the same event. I think we tended to cross paths um, at competition time, certainly. Uh, I remember London World Championships that year and then the Olympics. Um, I seem to remember being in the track centre the same night as you guys. Yeah. Ivy, we'd done our second round or you'd done your qualifying one, one or the other, but I think you were qualifying the same night we were doing yeah, our final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was that golden hour in between two rides we had i remember the pen being full we only had a little pen sort of 10 seats and a couple of sprinters were there and then you'd have four five team pursuit girls and four or five lads and it was just everyone was so it was such an intense environment in the track center and um, yeah, no social distancing in a track center no, pen is impossible all doing the same thing all waiting to to do your warm-up and no one really spoke. It was such an intense environment. Even the staff were, were intense. Like the, the mechanics were always terrified of getting something wrong and they'd double check each other. Luke de Wilde was the Swanier and he'd get nervous because he was so into it. And it was just, um, it was just horrible. I used to hate Olympic finals, you know, it was, um, but the feeling when it was done, I, it was the sense of weight off your shoulders of all them hours and days and weeks and months of training just for three minutes four minutes odd wasn't it did you i mean that must have been the same for you guys yeah definitely i think especially as team pursuiters like the standard was to win yeah. gold you know we weren't there to get a silver silver would have been seen as a failure especially as we were you know both teams were defending champions from last year's games and yet it's really intense and i think when i retired i retired 28 um it's a little bit longer younger than you and a lot of people said to me like you know you're way too young to retire and i thought yeah. i don't really want to spend the rest of my life going through that process because the winning bit is great but that is like a tiny little bit of the whole yeah. four-year cycle. And it is uh, it is really intense. And yeah. it always seemed to be all the team pursuits were on the same day. So like you say, there's a lot of us a lot of us crammed in. I didn't do the track in London, but you were saying before again that um, that was probably a bigger experience to be part of, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. For London. Yeah, I mean, now... You were three then, wasn't you, team pursuits? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a three-up team pursuit in London. And now, eight years on, like people, people talk to me far more about London than they do about Rio, yeah. even though Rio is the latest games and, you know, the Rio champions are the reigning champions. It is London that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. And it was, it was a really different atmosphere, I think. Rio, I think for London, I had a lot, I put a lot of pressure on myself um, because, you know, you do, you want to win. But I don't think I really had that much external pressure. Yeah. Like, I wasn't a defending champion. You know, the the eyes were on the eyes were on you. The eyes were on Chris Hoy. The eyes were on Vicky Pendleton. People weren't really looking at our squad. But in Rio, I felt that there was a lot more uncertainty going into it. You know, none, none of us had really won much yeah. in the build-up. And I think a lot of people were saying, like, yeah, the team pursuit need to put it out the bag here because those are the, you know, they're, they're the big investments. You know, we invest in four or five riders. Yeah. All those training camps, all those... All that track time, you know, it is a huge investment for yeah. one medal. So you, you do feel that. We were talking before, Graham, about Lizzie winning the course. But you came, Joe, you came through the system with Lizzie. Was she talent spotted as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So completely same story as me. We were both, mm. must have been about 15 years old. Opposite ends of the country. She was Leeds way. I was, uh, I was Surrey way, southwest London. And um, yeah, both went through the sort of talent yeah. ID process with the talent team and sort of came into it that way. On the course then, on which, the is, which course. is what we should move on to. Yeah. Because that's uh, where the action began today. Uh, a 96 kilometre uh, race across the foothills of Nice. Who did she beat, Graham? Today, well, well, we'll come to that because we're going uh, we're, we're oh, to... So, yeah, so it's... I uh, picked her up the other week, didn't I? I said that she was on for, for well, big things, but I never imagined that Lizzie would 
Rumbler, you she, she, go we, for it, right? We expected a bunch sprint, but what we got was action from start to finish and edge of your seat racing until the riders crossed the line. Towards the business end of the race, a group of six formed, um, and it was the most elite of groups with Annemiek van Vluten, Marianne Vos, Lizzie Degnan, uh, her teammate, uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini, Katia Niviodoma, and Demi Vollering. So with such a strong field, it was impossible to call. This is how it finished, as called by Marty McDonald, alongside Joe in the commentary booth on Eurosport. Voss, just a little move, but Longo Borghini is going to go again. Elisa Longo Borghini jumps down the right-hand side of the road. Voss comes through. Dignan just waits. Right move there by Dignan as Voss. She wants to try and get into the slipstream of Voss and get the jump, but Mariana Voss ups the pace. This is between Voss and Dignan. Can she come back? Mariana Voss in the sprint. Can Dignan find something? But Voss has still got the front. Here comes Lizzie Dignan through the sprint. The throw to the line. Dignan is in it. Gets it, it's the throw, it's tight. Mariana Voss and Lizzie Dignan. So, Brad, Lizzie Degnan, it was she who took it by a matter of centimetres on the Promenade des Anglais in the end. Yeah. Um, a thrilling sprint finish, from, uh, taking it from Mariana Voss. Yeah. And we were speaking about it the other week, weren't we? We um, were. She's getting and, closer, but again, we never really imagined that Lizzie, we didn't even put her in the picture, did we? And I was saying again to Laura that does it ever matter if she ever wins again because of her presence and that? But I lost Joe actually because where do you think this puts her now? You know, not in terms of the greatest, that, but just what she represents for women, women cyclists that to the point where her husband can retire from Team Sky because she can earn more money. It, it shows the advancement in women's cycling, doesn't it? It's huge. It's huge. So, you know, back in back in my day when I was racing on professional teams, I use the word professional very loosely there. You know, it'd be common to ride for a salary of zero. That that was just the way it was. And, you, you know, you'd be like, oh, wow, I'm signing a contract with a professional team. It just meant access to the racing. Unless you rode but, for um, Honda. Wiggle Honda. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it has changed a lot over the years. And it, like you say, you know, yeah. people can make a living out of it now. It's still a long way to go. There'll yeah, still be a lot of riders, you know, not making a living wage out of it. But I think it, it speaks volumes. For me, it's not just about women cycling, but it's about the fact that uh, as a woman, you could you can be a mother and still have a yeah. career. And I think that can be across the board, whatever whatever career you want to do. I think it's easy to think that you can't do both. It's yeah. easy to think that people aren't doing both. And I think that's the important message yeah. we were saying the other week is just what she represents, just yeah. her presence. And yeah. how do you compare her to Laura Trott in that sense? Because she's... An, Another amazing athlete you spend a lot of time with, didn't you? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because obviously both cyclists, but completely different parts of the sport. You know, Laura being a track rider based in Manchester, you sort of have that have that base, and it's a little bit different. Um, both part of teams, obviously Lizzie part of a road team, Laura part of a team pursuit team, and I think that can be probably the most difficult element because you're trying to fit in with the team whilst also having a very different challenge to you know a very different priority as well. Um, so I and think her husband's at the top of his game as well. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, 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 it's exactly. Even harder, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think both of them have got sort of good family support. I know Laura's yeah. got a good family support up in the northwest, um, which is important. Um, but no, I think kudos to both of them yeah, being able to do it. Sarah amazing, Story yeah. as well, Dame Sarah Story. Yeah, of course, yeah. mother of two. Yeah. So um, it has been done. It, it hadn't been done, I think, for a long time, certainly no. within British cycling. But now there's there are a few, which yeah. is yeah, pretty cool. Well done them. Talk us through the finish today because. So in the final six, Lizzie was the only one with a teammate up there. Yeah. And that, to me, made all the difference. But I don't have the expert eye. Absolutely. Um, so 
in that group of six, that the best sprinters by far were Marianne Voss and Lizzie Dignan. You know, you, you can see that on paper. The other girls were, were far more sort of climber type riders. And you sort of thought they're going to have to make an attack because, you know, they're not going to win this in the sprint. So really you had two riders that were sort of going to contend the finish. Voss in the past has been the faster sprinter. So if you look back to London 2012, it, it was Voss versus versus Lizzie Dignan at the finish in, in the, on the Mall uh, for, the, for the Olympic gold medal in the road race there. And it was Voss that won. Obviously, eight years on, you know, both riders far more experienced, far more mature. Um, and yeah, the key was Lizzie having a teammate and Alyssa Longo-Borghini. So she attacked with, I don't know, maybe 400 metres to go. She, you know, she really opened up the sprint early and that forced Voss to go early it forced Voss to get on her wheel and then Voss was sprinting by that point so Voss had to carry on Lizzie followed Voss um sat in the slipstream at, at one point I thought Voss was going to get it I thought you know Lizzie's left it too late here but she just waited and waited and waited and made her move timed it to perfection uh, and just just nipped Voss on the line and she said afterwards that she's got her director sportiste in the team car Georgia Bronzini and Ina Yoko Teutenberg who are two incredible sprinters of women's cycling that are now both retired and both doing um DSing and they were the ones you know giving her the advice so the, the pressure was on her shoulders really you know when you've got those sort of people advising you and you've got a teammate in the breakaway you know you expect the win to go to one of those two girls so yeah impressed you managed to pull it off her growth in her strength and her confidence well obviously it's from becoming a mother because it probably puts things in perspective for her in terms of what's important in in the, the way she's improved and winning these races is because she's got perspective in life now that She's probably not overthinking it. And when we watched her interview at the finish, she she just said um, it's a huge relief to have won. Yeah. I wonder if it has the same impact on her that it used to win. Because we were talking earlier that it, it feels like life and death when you're doing it. But now she's a mother. Like she's probably just looking forward to getting home to her daughter, really. And, and I don't know if that is... It's aiding her in her ability to win now because she said it was a relief and that she wasn't overjoyed. I just thought that was an interesting comment. Yeah, I think um, from my perspective, sort of as an observer, I think for her having a baby and having a year out was almost sort of like hitting the refresh button on her career. Um, up until that point, she'd won pretty much every race yeah. in women's cycling at least once. Um, sort of spread, spread over a few years, you know, a really, really good career. And I think it can easily become sort of stale at that point because yeah. um, you sort of keep going the, you know, the same routine, the same winter of training, the same training camps. So I think that really sort of refreshed her in terms of, you know, a year out, completely new challenges, like you say, perspective, yeah. um, you know, different things to sort of concern yourself with. And, you know, she's come back, you know, incredibly strong. And I think, yeah, I think the perspective thing is big as well. Um, I think it's so easy as an athlete to get really caught up in the nitty gritty of the training details and, oh, I did one what less for that, you know, block of effort today. And, yeah. oh, no, it's all ruined. And I think when you've got another focus, that can just help. help but, but it shows her how hard she still is because she was hit the deck during the week, didn't she? Graham? In, the, in the Euros, yeah. So she's and, had quite um, a week. You know, just to bounce back, I mean... She's still got that tough character about her, hasn't she? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she won on Tuesday at GP Plouay. Uh, she crashed on Thursday yeah. at the European Championships uh, and then and then won today on Saturday. So, yeah, quite quite an up and down week. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no testament to her. We should mention Van Vluten as well because she's been so dominant this season, but she didn't have it all her own way today and she couldn't shake off the, the other five who went with her to the finish. She was like a shadow of herself from the one who was riding away in, in Strada Bianchi and the race we were watching, it's... Um, I think everyone, I don't know, Voss and that seemed to have, have, have got into their stride now as the season started because she was so dominant in the early season races. Um, we couldn't see anyone really challenging her, could we? It just shows what we're four or five weeks into the season now. And the women have had less racing than the men, obviously. Lizzie and Voss and that have seemed to have gone up a level now, with, and Vluton's probably stayed at the same, same level. 
Yeah, I think Anna Meek trains really well. Like she spends a lot of time out in Tenerife on Mount Tidi. She spends time in Lavinio in Italy, you know, does altitude training and she puts monster rides on Strava, like, you know, huge, huge miles, like far more than most other riders What's would a do. Monster ride, what does she sort of four, five, six hours? Yeah. Um without wanting to quite exact details, I'd have to check check exactly what she's doing. So but it's not a fact, is it, that you comment? Yeah. <laughs> I'd need to check exactly how long, but no, she does put these yeah. sort of huge training rides in that a lot of other people, you know, don't enjoy doing and don't want to yeah. do. A lot of people don't, but, don't, yeah. you know, you don't have races that long as a, as a female athlete. I mean, today's race was less than two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but she puts in that huge amount of training. So I think when we had lockdown, when everyone was stuck just training, she probably came out of that better relatively than everyone else because yeah. she is such a good trainer. It's funny to think if we, if we hadn't had COVID, you know, obviously the Olympics would have been by now. Um, we may have had you know, Lizzie coming into form. Imagine if she won the Olympics this year. I mean, do you think she'll be stronger next year? Or do you think that... Oh, I don't know. What do you think? It's interesting. I think traditionally you'd think once someone sort of gets towards their mid-30s, they might be sort of slightly getting past their best. Yeah. Um, but I think, especially in women's cycling at the moment, the winners are, if anything, getting older, which is sort of in contrast to the men's side of the sport where the winners seem to be getting younger. Um, but, I mean, Anna Meek Mavluta is nearly 38 years old. Uh, Lizzie is nearly 32 years old. So I think she's just sort of going from strength to strength. I mean, personally, I felt I was sort of past my best when I retired at 28. I sort of thought my best years were more around like 24, 25, 26 um, but yeah, definitely. Sort yeah. Of, I don't know if it's partly the experience, partly the sort of like you say, change of priorities. I think mentally as well, it's quite hard, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. uh, it's very men It's a mentally tough event. The track, isn't it? It's it's just it's very structured um, for four years, and you've got guys like Stephen Burke that never really raced in between, you know. And it, it, it's you're indoors all the time. It's a very depressing environment in Manchester in the winter, isn't it? And it's um, it's hard, isn't it? Um, I don't think you can have a lengthy career, which. People like Ed Clancy and that, you know, it just shows how good he is really that he can keep repeating them cycles and that. Oh, definitely. I think you're always under the magnifying glass on the mm. track. Like every day you come on, you're timed and you're scrutinised. Yeah. And, and Lizzie was a track rider before. She was a Team yeah. Pursuit World Champion back in 2009. Um, so she sort of had that phase of her career then switched just to concentrate on road racing before the London yeah. Olympics. Um, how old is she now? So she's going to be 32 in December. Yeah. She's the same age So she's still me. got a few years, hasn't she really? If yeah, she wants yeah. To, I it, mean. It's, it depends on the want, I yeah. think. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest thing when people come to retire. Like, do you, do you want to keep keep racing your bike? Yeah. You want that to be your... I'm glad I didn't carry living. on. I'd have to wait for five years, wouldn't I? I know, I know. Imagine if you carried yeah. on for four years and then... Was that was that ever a consideration for you, just briefly? Uh, I thought about it, but um, it, the track environment has become so... It's such an unhappy environment, you know, um, and riders were retiring. It, it, four years is a long time, you know, and the, it's the, a lot event, quicker the now. event was getting faster and faster. I mean, look at the Danes this year. They've, 344 I think of the worlds and but imagine getting to now and having all your retirement planned it's like got to wait another year it's never happened is it so um I'm glad I didn't know yeah it, yeah well on waiting another year or perhaps waiting another two we should also mention that David Lepatient uh, the president of the UCI has said he expects to see a women's stage race to run immediately after the finish of the men's tour starting in Paris in 2022 so he said, whether this race will also be called the Tour de France, I don't know. I'm assured that ASO will be ready to put this event on the calendar in 2022. That's an important step, Brad. Yeah, but I remember asking these questions back in 2012 when I won the Tour. Should we have a Women's Tour de France? Ten years on, I mean, it's like, we will have one. And it's, why don't you just put it on now? I mean, they managed to shift this Tour de France to September, or August, September, and... 
I don't know, it just it seems it always gets knocked down the road, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, and I remember talking about this, as I say, in 2012, you know, and sort of trying to do something to help. And I remember putting some money into um, Rochelle Gilmore's team and, you know, at some point, someone's got to do something. And if you think an organisation like ASO, it's like, they've got to wait another two years. If, it, if it's got to be after the men's race, it's like, why don't you just do it this year? Or next year? We've got to wait another two years. And it, I just think it's always sort of fobbing it off and pushing it down the road a bit. And, you know, how long have we been saying this? You know, Eight years for sure, because I got asked this question in 2012. Joe? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the most common excuse for not having a women's tour de France is the logistics of it, well, which can, I think is if rubbish. If they can do this in August yeah. or September, yeah. how, why can you not? I don't understand. Yeah, if you yeah. could push an Olympics back by a year, if you can yeah. rearrange the whole Euro World calendar. Cup, yeah. uh, the, the logistic thing is nonsense, in my opinion. I do think for women's cycling, having a women's Tour de France would be the most profile-raising thing you could do for the sport. I think, I think just the Tour de France brand, whether it is at the same time as the men's, after the men's, before the men's, whatever, like that, that brand has a huge impact. And I'm constantly asked in retirement, you know, when I meet people and I say I was a former professional cyclist, the question is always, did you ride the Tour de France? And I'm like, well, no, there isn't a women's one. You know, it's only for men. And then you have a bit of a silly conversation about why that is. Uh, and, you know, Brad's right. You know, we've been talking about this for years. I mean, the, the Olympic events in terms of track cycling weren't equal back in 2008 and they were made equal by 2012. So five events to men, five for yeah. women on the track. And look at the difference it's made to the track squad. Yeah. And it, but the, the, the road side of it, it's just it just it's yeah. just being pushed down the road. Well, all the in time. COVID, how many events did they lose? The women's events? They lost far more yeah, than the men. Exactly. Have. And we said the impact that that will have maybe on sponsors next year coming in, supporting women's tightly. It probably needs something like a Tour de France now to, you know, because sponsors will come in and go, well, we'll have something. If it's going to be on at the same time as the men's, it, why two years? It's always an afterthought, isn't it? It's just it's just an afterthought. I mean, how many more times are we going to have that conversation? Should the women have a Tour we, we had that three years ago, eight years ago. Yeah, they should. Well, the, and then there's a big the, announcement. Two years' time, we might have one, but I don't know if it's going to be called the Tour de France. Well, just call it the Tour de France. What does it matter? They did have one, didn't they? It was called Le Grand Boucle. Le well, Grand yeah, but that's yeah. a mouthful if you're from Doncaster. Just the women's Tour de France could be half the men's get on with it. Bang. I totally agree. I mean, Jesus. The party on today has made a big announcement. The women might have a race in two years, but we don't know yet. <laughs> Good. Well, on that note, we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show right after this. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co, where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show. Brad, we're recording after the opening day of the tour, uh, a race that we weren't sure that we would see, as, as we've already said, and, and what a dramatic one it was. Um, before we get into the details of stage one, just sum it up for us. Um, I mean, it was a nervous stage. The first stage of the Tour de France, when it's just a road stage, you know, everyone, after the year we've had as well, four or five weeks racing, some big stars missing, Chris Froome, Geraint Thomas. Um, 
it had a different feel to it watching it you know it, it seemed like probably because i've been retired for four years now but there's like aside from tony martin and a couple of other guys it's like a completely sort of new bunch of guys you know like my generation is slowly sort of peating out now and um i don't know our, most of the riders in there you know other than the likes of viviani and a couple of others obviously but it was a nervous one the weather you know we saw rain two laps it was a bit of an odd circuit wasn't it i mean i, I don't know if they kind of designed that because of the covid thing and social distance i'm not too to sure keep it tight or was yeah. it always going to be that circuit i don't know i've never really looked i don't really follow cycling early in the year where the routes are announced but yeah it was a funny one wasn't it we had kind of gentleman's agreement tony martin stopped the race because there's been some accidents behind they stopped the time at 3k to go but there was some confusion as to whether they were going to do it and then there was a big pile up at 3k to go pino came down um yeah, I mean, there was some stuff, rumblings when we were doing the TV with the guessing was moaning there could have been 20 crashes if they hadn't stopped the race. And, mm. um, I think the weather just impacted far more on that circuit today. And, um, they, you know, it is what it is. We had a worthy winner. Um, it was good to see the world champion up there. Merge Pedro from Denmark. Um, the Dane of the day, yeah. Well, we'll get into the details in just a second. You keep, going, so you keep saying that. I do, well, and now we're, Who's going to give we're, us these details? I've got, no I more, I've got much more than that. I am, and then you are. Come on, Sure, so, worth. Well, it was a rolling 156 kilometres up and over some of the punchier climbs Ooh, around. Is that Nice. The detail? <laughs> but in torrential rain, as you said, so standing water oh, everywhere. Give me some more detail. Crashes at every turn. A chaotic finish. Here's how Carlton Kirby called it for us on Eurosport. Oh, and it's a long one that's being had here as Ostig's in. Uh, can't see Penis again now. It spreads over the centre of the road. Who's got what it takes? Litzolo's got to pick it up for the European champion. Is he? No, he's not. Here comes Caleb Ewan being guarded in position. He's going to do it on his own. Is he going to go long? No, in fact, uh, just behind. We'll wait to see. And Christoph still hasn't made his move either. Oh, they're all at it. Consoni's in the frame here. Uh, still more just uh, trying to come and join the party. Uh, Michael Morkoff, in fact, it, it is that picks it up right now. Finally, Sam Bennett's where he needs to be. Oh, a little bit of shoulderage as well. They're all getting involved with each other right now. This is not a handy position to be in at all. And finally it's Saints Ball that hits the front. Saints Ball shoulder to shoulder but it's a big man, Richard. Christopher comes to the fore. He's going to take it. Oh, like a boulder. He rolled down the hills here and now he's rolled over everybody else, including the world champion nearest to him. What an effort that was by Alexander Christoph. So, Alexander Christoph, a member of the old guard, Brad. You, you're Dita, with, uh, yeah. He took the sprint from the world champion, as he said, the Dane of the yeah, day. Yeah, Christoph. I mean, he's a lovely lad, Christoph. He sort of came into the pro peloton, sort of in the shadow of Edvold Bersenhagen and Torhoshov. He's got four kids in that interview. I didn't know he had four kids. 33 years old. I love the way he said, um, yeah, I have four kids now, and uh, I still have the energy to win Tour de France stages. It's like, it was, um, I love seeing people being interviewed like that. It's like, just like really down to earth and, and open and uh, you saw what it meant to him, you know, and it was just, yeah, it, it, he's, like I say, worthy to a Flanders winner, Olympic medalist and Sam Bennett was up there. Um, Bennett was having a bit of argy-bargy with, uh, with Sagan coming yeah. into the finish. Yeah, Sagan looks, I don't know. And Cease Ball from Sunweb coming in third, but you've got to imagine that this was yeah. some, Sunweb's big hit today. Yeah, and, and I kind of automatically think there's one man missing in that who's sort of part of the fabric of the Tour de France in Mark Cavendish, you know. I couldn't help but think about him today and whether he would have been there. Um, part of me thinks he'd have loved the conditions today and he'd have scurried up there and, like, actually that finish, I mean, it's all, you know, kind of, it's all hindsight now, is it? But I, I kind of saw him ducking and weaving and coming up on the boards and, and winning a stage like that. That would be the way he would win a stage. But 
he's not here. And um, it's like we're obviously missing Grodewegen. But Christoph, yeah, it was good to see him win, actually. It I was. Think he, he deserves that because, it, you know, you imagine he'll sort of, he's getting to the end of his career now. Um, and it's his first win of the season. Yeah. I mean, he would have been, he would have been among the outsiders And, and Mads Pedersen, he'll, he'll be winning for many more years now. So Christoph's a rider from my generation. It's quite nice to see the old guard still holding up. Here's a, here's a quote for you from Christoph. So he did an interview with Pro Cycling Mag at the end of last year, and he said, I'm best at sprinting when everybody else is f Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, he's not perhaps the fastest in a straight line, but the weather today, the climbing, you know, the likes of Sam Bennett and that, probably very fast in a straight line, but he ducked and weed, he hit right timings, everything in sprinting, isn't it? As we saw with Lizzie in, in La Course. So, um, yeah, it's, um, he, he, there's life in him, yeah. Another of the old guard sprinters, John Degenkolb, would seem to be the first casualty yeah. of the tour. So he yeah. finished outside the time limit. Did he crash? We don't know if he actually, was it born out of a crash that he... We think he must have done. So he was with the Caleb Ewan group and Ewan obviously got back on and was gunning it at the front and looked like he'd, he'd hit out early today. Yeah. And we, sh we should also mention um, Giacomo Nizzolo, uh, the new European champion. He crashed, didn't he? He crashed. He got back on. Sivakov, he was up there in the sprint. Too. He had a bad day, didn't he? Sivakov finished 13 minutes down. Um, so he he hit the deck hard. I mean, what does that mean for Ineos's chances? Because that's that's yeah. one of, that's I mean, one of their big lieutenants. Well, it doesn't mean much really. I think he'll recover. You know, I think probably him as an outside bet of someone we could see in that top ten young rider. But I mean, he'll recover. He's a hard boy, and you know, he'll his wounds will heal, and he'll be up there in the mountains when it matters. You know, it's three weeks to go yet. Joe, what did you make of today? She loved it. <laughs> I, I wish you, I was there. You you're know. Hold, holding your breath with, I, yeah, with the rest of us. Yeah, I retired. Yeah, no, it, it just looked carnage a lot of the time. And, and it really was the weather. I think that you can talk a lot about, about the route and safety and everything. And I think you know, if it had been dry, it would have been okay. But it, the, the weather just made it so sketchy. And there were just so many skids, so many people coming down. It was just one after another. And it it didn't make for very nice viewing because I think... I think there's obviously some people that enjoy watching races like that because it's a bit of a spectacle and it's like, oh, look at that. But I think I now think more about you know, their families and you know yeah. their loved ones and you, you do get that bit of perspective. Yeah, there's a Stana rider who just touched his brakes, wasn't there, and went into that pole. And... That was Jan Itzagiri. Yeah. So on one of the descents. But that's because Astana went off the front after Tony Martin had gone to the front. And, but he and sort of touched his brake as well a bit, say, didn't he? Yeah. And, and I was and, sort and of thinking automatically, was that, did he have disc brakes and stuff? Does that impact on that kind of... Tokyo Drift or whatever it's called and was I it, don't know I mean your favourite Fast and the Furious film I've never watched it no <laughs> um, well he, he was on the descent and, and he unclipped so he was he, he, he had four yeah. um, sort of four parts of him including his wheels touching the yeah, floor and managed to... it, the way it's put it's almost put like well he deserved it because I started her off the front it's like I mean no I mean I mean, I don't know but it's uh, yeah they were off the front but it's a bike race, you know, you're supposed to be. So and, uh, after the after what seemed to be the sort of gentleman's yeah. agreement of Tony Martin on the front as sort of yeah. taking on the patron's role and saying, look... But Astana are quite slow down. bullish, aren't they? And you know what they're led by. They're not really a team for obeying orders. And yeah, Vino lived in his in niece's whole career and, you know, I can imagine him there going, come on, um, Sodom, you know, and get on with it. You know, not everyone has to comply, you know. Um, there's been far worse situations. When I stopped the race in 2012 with... The pins, you know, 36 punches, I think, that day. Um, but that's a bit more, you know, you don't want to benefit from it because Cadell Evans had that and punch. Today, it wasn't, I didn't think it was that bad. It wasn't carnage. Matt Stevens said on commentary, it's borderline unsafe. It's like, yeah, most races are, Matt. 
So should... and he should know that better than anyone. I'll be having words with him later. <laughs> Let's let us know how that goes. Joe, should uh, ASO, should the commissars have done something to neutralise the race today, given the conditions? Oh, yeah. Difficult one. I love how you come to me for that one. Um, commissars. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they are. I mean, you can't expect to do anything. I mean, they can't even. They don't. Well, no, they're asked from a hole in the ground. You know, they they the riders is about the riders get put together but you'll always have divide in the peloton when they do that sort of stuff and tony's an old rider but tony's now you know playing peacemaker a year ago he's fighting with luke rowe on the side of the road would he slight contradiction he was yeah he was, he was we need to be safe picking him into the gutter yeah a year I mean, ago. look it suits certain riders and teams when it suits them yeah you know when it's on the other foot and we've all benefited from it you know and it's it is what it is it's the tour de france that's why we love watching and talking about it on, on, a, on, on a slightly on a safety note, then, because we've mentioned that a couple of times, we've been talking a lot about rider safety in this past few yeah. weeks. I didn't think it was that bad today. Yeah. I mean, the the rain impacted on the way the riders race. Um, there is more lack of respect, as Mark Cavendish always says. But that it's not so much a lack of respect. It's like if you're in a bike race, you know, you can. Everyone's got more of a chance of winning now. When I turned professional, it was like you, know, you knew your place at the peloton. You got out the way of the big riders, and now it's. Um, Everyone feels they've got an opportunity to win. And if you've got 200 guys amassed on little lanes, I mean, those roads have been raced on for 100 odd years. And but now all of a sudden it's unsafe. We could have had 20 crashes. Yeah, but we could have that in most races. It's the way it's ridden. Um, I don't know. The sport's gone a bit funny, hasn't it, really? I mean, there are times where it needs to be like that, but that shouldn't be as a result of Remco going over the bridge and stuff. Is I mean, as tragic as it is, no one wants to see that. But we can't kind of start wrapping everyone in bubble wrap and throwing them into a room full of sharp objects. I mean, it's part of bike racing. It's why Nibbly is so good when he goes downhill is because I couldn't keep up with him in the rain because he's a great bike handler. And that's how he won Sam Rainbow. And what do we do? We just start neutralising down every descent because it's raining. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but I understand I've been on both ends of it. I'd have been the first to moan if when it suited me, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a bit, a bit hypocrite from that respect, you know. But I've seen it from the other side of the fence now where, you know, people sit and watch it all day and they want to see bike races. They don't want to see them all running down the hill. No one wants to see crashes for sure, under 100%. But I don't know. It's a funny one, that. And it's like downhill mountain biking, isn't it? It's like you don't want to see anyone hurt themselves, but it, when it's bloody exciting to watch, you know? I mean, how, how far do we take it before, you know, it, every time it rains, it's like a cricket match, we're going in and have orange slices? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Graham. You tell me the detail. <laughs> well, you tell me the detail. No, I don't know. I don't know what. It, uh, it's just an observation. You, I don't know what the answer is, and I'm I've been on both ends of it. And you I'll, have, and I'll that's that's what the most of it when it comes so, to me, and now I've lost out when it hasn't. So I don't know. You know, 2010, cancel R and neutralise the race. And yeah, you, and I, you I crashed that day. Yeah. yeah, I um, we were going over. I think it was one of them little kind of Laradu or one of them other things, and uh, so it's a stage to the age. So it was yeah, about. 10, 15 it was classics ago. country. And it was so, it was raining and it was just like under trees, mossy, you know, but horrible gravel, like, like out of Manchester roads, you know, and George Incapi touched the brake in front of him and he, he just went and I went over the top of him and he goes, holy man, we were lying on the floor and I shredded myself. I had half hurt my ass that day falling on it. And I, I was actually, so, so I was glad they neutralised cancer because I got back in and didn't lose any time. So it suited me that day, you know. But then days like at the Giro, where I had a brain fart on that descent and lost, I went out the back and they raced and I lost three and a half minutes. So I lost out that day. I could have done with them neutralising that day and people were falling off everywhere. So you end up, at the end of the day, you retire five years later, you say, it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. Just race. 
I love Joe. watching it. If you crash, you crash. If you don't, go and get a proper job. Joe, would it have suited you today? On your way to a proper job, would it have suited you it today? It would not have suited Should've me at it. all. No. Oh, God, She was a no. lunatic, Joe. Should have yeah, seen no, you going I, I, I was not known to my descending abilities at the best of times. Um, the thing is, I think it's easy for... Well, it's not easy, but, you know, we can comment here, but I do think the, the guys in the race, you know, they, they know what it's like better than anybody else. And... Yeah, I didn't think I it was think that bad, though, today. Luke Rowe said it was like skating on an ice rink. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But Luke Rowe didn't crash, did he? I don't think he did. Because he's a bloody good bike handler. You know, and, that, and that's the end of it, you know? I mean, it, that's what makes some people better than others. You know, and it's just, that's, that's the harsh reality of elite sport. I mean, like, you know, on the track, the equivalent is going, I'm doing a Madison, isn't it? So people like Stephen Burke and that would ride the Madison and stuff. But did you ever ride a Madison, Joe? Not at a, not international level, just at, no. at home. Uh, county level. <laughs> <laughs> county no, level. No, but I mean, it, it is the harsh reality of what makes people better than others, you know? It's bike handling and the ability to ride in wet conditions. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of people go out on weekends, don't they, in this country and ride their bikes and wish they could descend like nibbly and that. And if we just neutralise it all the time, then everyone can go, <laughs> everyone could go down a hill waving their arms and go, slow, slow, slow. I mean, I don't know. Look, Again, I've, I would be the first to ride on the front and go slow, 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 because it would suit me, because I didn't want to crash. You know, but watching it now, five years on, yes, I realise I could be a hypocrite talking about that, but I actually want to see him race. I don't want to see anyone go over a wall and crash. No, of course I don't. Put some bloody things up so they don't fall down a bridge. I mean, start making safety measures. I mean, we keep talking about this, don't we? Let's do something then. Joe, do you agree with that? I think it's so easy for us to speculate and say all these things. I think when you're, when you're in the race, you know how slippy those roads are. You know how dangerous that descent is. It's, it's easy watching it on TV. Like, you know, we can easily say they should be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, it's how they race. But I, I don't feel like... I mean, can... it was slippy. I'm sure it was slippy. Yeah. That, those roads are notorious. But the riders will make that decision. Whether the UCI should act or not is, is, is you know, irrelevant, really. It's the riders. Ultimately, the riders are the ones who've got to go down. Uh, the riders made a decision to neutralise it. Some riders didn't obey that and... Yeah, you know, what happened happened, and I think if if you have that sort of unwritten rule in the bunch, that's possibly the fairest way of doing it. I don't think I can sit here and judge them for doing that. You know, I I wasn't out on the bike today. I wasn't the one slipping on those corners. And on that note, that brings us to the end of this episode. Oh, I was getting to be flow then of the Bradley Wigan show by Eurosport. Unless there is anything else that you would like to cover, it's the Love Hour. We have got well, Janet in Wigan. <laughs> Janet, are you there, love? No, uh, it's not yet the Love Hour. That's a different podcast altogether. Thank you um, for sponsoring this podcast to Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Thank you, Brad. Thank uh, you for for your Can't forthright wait. views. Um, we can follow forthright. Nothing forthright about them. Honest, opinionated. No, just, uh, I mean, not opinionated. I don't. I get asked a question. I just that's what I think. Oh, it's just we, an observation. And we love I'm you for right. it. Yeah. Hey, listen. If Matt Barbet used to say, he was a bit unpredictable, Brad. You never know what he's going to say and what he's going to do. It's like Matt, shut up. <laughs> you should come out dressed as a mushroom. That's, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I mean, how unpredictable am I? It's like it says it how it is. I don't say how it is. It's like just you ask me a question. I will give you an answer. I'm not necessarily right. I'm there to be challenged. It's like says it how it is. What does that mean? Hello, well, hello says to, it how it means. Hello to says Matt Barbet, if that's you're a, listening. That's a table made of wood. <laughs> says it how it is, Brad. Other people would have said it was made out of metal. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, I'm off. See you later. Bye. Good. We can follow you at So We Go. Joe, thank you ever so much for joining us on it's the Bradley been, It has show. been a real pleasure. Where can we follow you on social media? On Dr. Joe. Twitter, <laughs> I am I am at Joe Rousel MBE on Twitter. Um, oh, MBE. Yeah. We hope that you will come back and join us in this, this uh, experience. It was entertaining. It was, yeah. Always is.
a huge amount of fun. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to our producer, Pete Burton. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And Thank you, Pete. Finally, sponsored by me. River Island. <laughs> <laughs> finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Two Category One climbs to look forward to tomorrow. Stage two of the tour. Yeah. Joe, thanks again. Thank, Thank you, you, Joe. Much. Thank you very much. All the best. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.